Welcome to Notes on Vulnerability, a podcast designed to put stories of resilience, courage and being human at the heart of the conversation. This is the Tools for Resilience series, wellness and mental health chats focused on helping you grow and feel good about who you are. We'll be exploring ideas and practical tools designed to help you get comfortable with the vulnerability inherent in being human and the benefits of embracing it. And we'll reveal ways that working with this vulnerability builds resilience so that you can deepen your resources, adapt more, bounce back better and go on to thrive. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button for the extra bonus content. Be nice. Why can't you just be nice? It costs nothing to be nice. These are the kinds of ideas that most of us are socially conditioned to believe about niceness. That it's a positive quality, especially if you're female. But have you ever thought about what it really means to be nice? What's happening inside you when you're being nice? Who defined this standard and who it really applies to? Also, why it feels so vulnerable when you do something that could be perceived as not nice. I personally have always been a bit unimpressed with the word. I've always viewed nice as a bit of a lazy descriptor for a situation that you perhaps didn't really enjoy enough to find a more individual word for. But I have to be honest, I never thought it would actually have a destructive power. That was until I realised that this pressure I often feel as a woman not to get angry or express uncomfortable emotions, not to tread on people's toes, point out inequality, not to react to casual sexism or to ask for what I want if it might inconvenience someone, potentially all comes back to this standard that I seem to have been conditioned into. I personally have identified this as part of my experience of being female, but that doesn't necessarily have to be the case, as it probably affects anyone who isn't part of a dominant majority. It's a standard that says that above almost anything else, I need to be perceived as nice. Why though? Well, for the benefit of others. I would argue that unlike kindness, when it comes to being nice, there really is nothing in it for me. Erica Chalkley is an embodied business mentor focused on helping women recover their true selves from toxic social norms and move forward into a place of confidence and power. She has an MA in Human Rights Identity and Citizenship and has worked in Parliament for NGOs and as a community organiser and social worker. She was previously an associate tutor for Embodiment Unlimited, one of the world's leading somatic training schools. She's also an embodied yoga principles teacher and has more than 10 years somatic practice across yoga, martial arts, breathwork, the Rosa method and dance. Her programmes include Establish, which is designed for female entrepreneurs. And she also runs the Seasonal Sisterhood, which is all about helping women find their true nature. She describes herself as a woman intent on freedom something I can 100% identify with. Maybe you can too. And when it comes to deconstructing the concept of nice and what we need to do to escape from it, I consider her to be something of an authority. So Erica, welcome. Hi, Alex. It's wonderful to be here. One of the often repeated phrases that we see about this kind of thing is it costs nothing to be nice. Would you agree with that? Oh my God, no. (laughs) I would say it costs everything. It costs everything to be nice. And um, well, I wonder if we should start with defining the terms or how, how, um, how I use nice versus kind in my work. It might make a bit more sense. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So, I mean, you did it, that introduction was beautiful and I feel like you get it. So, um, but I would say for, for, for in my own work, I just made this distinction between niceness and kindness yeah so niceness being kind of living according to social scripts or cultural norms 
that we inherit. And so, and those cultural norms being around, yeah, living according to what society wants or what other people, other people's preferences rather than from your own internal making. So I would say niceness is kind of, it's a safety strategy for surviving the world. It's a way of staying safe and maintaining connection, love. Other ways of talking about it could be like the good girl conditioning, or it can sometimes be, you know, it's also the fawn trauma response. If anyone listening knows the sort of fight, fight, freeze, and then there's fawn, yeah? So it's also a trauma response. And really it's about prioritizing other people's needs, wants and comfort ahead of our own in order to keep other people happy, in order to stay safe in the world. It's deep, I'd say niceness for me is like a default unconscious kind of way of being. That is just the way that we've been trained into being. It's what we default back to if we're not uh, aware. And it offers short-term relief, okay? So I think niceness is like, um, when we're being nice, we're prioritizing short-term, our own short-term comfort of keeping someone else happy over long-term inner peace, yeah? So, so then, so that's niceness, that sort of conditioned way of being compared to kindness, which could look very similar on the outside, but actually it's based in choice, yeah? It's based in, um, you know, I might still choose to put someone else's needs first, but I have the ability to not do that. So I'm in tune with myself, I'm connected with my own needs and wants and desires, and I have the ability, the ability to say no or to, to act on them. So it's choice-based um, and it's based on me being kind of an equal in the situation. I think niceness is often we're putting ourselves last or we're putting ourselves as less than the other people or society's expectations. Whereas um, kindness is rooted in like, I'm an equal here. You know, we're all equals and we're all um, make, we're all kind of taking responsibility for ourselves. I think that's actually, that's really important to define. So thank you for doing that because I, I did mention the topic of this podcast to a friend and he was like, why would you not want to be nice? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Question, yeah. So I think it's really, and you know, people use these terms in different ways. And this is just a particular way that I like to use it just to make this really clear distinction between niceness being unconscious, people pleasing habits that we're trained into, kindness being aware, uh, conscious decision-making uh, where we're equal, yeah. So what does niceness cost you? Well, it costs you a lot, you know, it costs you, well, in order to be nice, you've got to sort of deny your own experience. Yeah, so you've got to uh, push or squash down your own knowing, your own wants, your own wishes in order to keep someone else happy or to keep the status quo, you know, at ease. That act of squashing down our own knowing, our own wishes, our own wants, creates a lot of inner distrust. Yeah, so we sort of work a lot with how do we trust ourselves. So we talk a lot about self-trust, but actually we've been trained to not listen to our inner experience. So we've got to squash that down. I mean, my God, that can cause you know, everything from loss of health. You know, Gabor Mate does this great talk on um, how being nice will kill you. So it can really affect our health, our well-being, um, all the way through to not feeling like we're living the life we're supposed to be living. 
to really damage our connection with other people as well because we're not being authentic and honest. And actually it's very unpleasant to be around someone who's not being authentic and honest. And we sort of know, don't we? But you can, t- I think you can tell when someone isn't really showing up as themselves and you might empathize with it, but it doesn't feel as good as someone who is definitely showing up as authentic. Yeah, you'd rather have the messy, imperfect version, right? Which is what your podcast is all about. It's like, and and yet when someone's being nice, yeah, it does, it, it, there's a sort of, a mistrust in the or we sort of know something non-authentic is going on so we don't we can't quite trust what's happening and that can be very it can keep relationships superficial you know it can cause resentment to build up frustration which then leaks out sideways you know not being able to address issues head-on means you know uh, passive aggressiveness sideways comments which can be really undermining for connection and and ultimately kind of just life purpose you know like I work with a lot of women who they're not living their most truest beautiful life then and they know it and they don't quite know why and I think we're all here to bring something of ourselves out into the world in whatever form that is to live generatively creatively whereas niceness is much more about being adaptable and responsive and molding around uh, something else yeah so it can just lead lead to this kind of is this it is this is this it for life like this doesn't feel like what I was promised you know so my next question was basically going to be um so how much worse is this for women yeah I mean in my opinion women suffer from this much more than men and um god the highest praise for like a woman is like she's so selfless you know like to be without a strong sense of self like but that I just think Jesus you know particularly as well if as soon as we become mothers or caregivers you know this idea of God she's so selfless um so yes I would say this affects women much more I mean really it's also about anyone that is raised in a marginalized identity yeah because what we're dealing with here is power and not being at the center so you know anyone that was raised not cisgender white you know, in a, well, in a dominant identity, learn that they were not the centre. And not being the centre means we have to orientate around whoever, whatever group is at the centre, yeah? So it can apply to anyone that was raised with a marginalised identity. I work with women because that's my experience. And also, in particular, I see this playing out in women and the gendered kind of social scripts that women are born into, you know? Right from as soon as a child is gender identified as female, the way in which parents, society orientates towards the child is different. And it's still, it hasn't been born yet, yeah. So there is a huge link then between the social conditioning and the way that niceness shows up in us. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think patriarchy screws all of us over, but for women, we're, we're very much trained out of Uh, our power our agency our sort of sense of this is what I want this is where I'm going no I don't want that yes I do want that you know as as children very early on we get sort of told no play nice share don't be too bossy or she's being a princess you know and men in general tend to be able to keep hold of that sense of an inner agency power willfulness uh, the ability to shape change be creative um, whereas girls get taught much earlier on, uh, no, be adaptable, be flexible, don't be too much. It, it tends to be much more sort of 
tone it down, don't be too demanding kind of messaging, yeah? Don't be problematic. That's when I heard, I, I, I heard that used as praise the other day of, of someone on a TV show, and I think it was on social media, and, and someone was like, oh, she's just great, she's so unproblematic. <laughs> My God, and you hear it, don't we? So, like, if you think about, um, yeah, the way women are punished through, you know, through social norms... I was thinking, when I was thinking about this podcast, I was just thinking of seemingly innocuous events, but in England, especially, if you walk down the street and you're not smiling, so there's a good chance some bloke will tell you to cheer up, love, yeah? Yep. We've all had experiences of that. Cheer up, love, smile. And it's like, because my face is not conforming to the pleasing stereotype, I'm told to change it, you know, and, that, and the entitlement to tell me to cheer up. And I thought, God, that's so something so innocuous, innocuous as not smiling is, a, is commentable, you know? And um, yeah, and then you get all the way through to she's a difficult woman. Mm. She's aggressive. Um, well, we get labelled a bitch, don't we? We get labelled all sorts when we might actually just be voicing our preferences or voicing an opinion or uh, questioning uh, like you said in your introduction, questioning a status quo, challenging something, which a man would say, would, would act exactly the same, have no comments made about. So I would say, yeah, absolutely. You can see when women defy niceness, mm. it's commented upon, yeah. yeah. And this is quite a difficult topic because just to be very clear, when we talk about the patriarchy, we're not talking about men. No. System, no, no. Which as you said, is fucking us all over. Um, yeah, because at the same time, there is a kind of um, a need for people to see their own conditioning. Us, you know, anyone who's who's got it, because that's the only way that we can sort of fight the patriarchy um, is if people become aware of the effect that it's having on them. And that it definitely does feel like being nice is a weight that falls on women. But I'm saying this to, to try not to exclude anyone or blame anyone. No, no, no. So, you know, sort of exploring the idea that actually this is a heavy weight for a lot of women to bear. Yeah, absolutely. And I, what, there are a lot of men that contact me, you know, because they suffer the same things. And it, we're in a matrix of conditions all the time, aren't we? And culture and social scripts are one of them. But then we also have our own personal lived histories and things that have happened to us in, in our own upbringings that would, would can create uh, a sense of needing to be nice um, there's a whole kind of matrix we're also in a matrix of power you know I'm a white woman therefore I'm in a different relationship uh, with black women you know we're, we're, we're all navigating power all the time and and I guess the, what my work and what I really want to emphasize is this cultural piece which I think can sometimes be lost in I'll talk about this later I think but can this cultural piece I think can sometimes be lost when we, when we look at it always being a personal issue. Yeah, so I just, I just see my role as drawing the cultural influence out a bit more in, in our awareness, yeah. Okay, so you've sort of described this idea of being caged by niceness. Yeah. And it might be a cage that a lot of people don't realize, you know, that we're in. So what are the signs of being in a cage of niceness? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, can I talk about 
this idea of being caged because I think this is really important and it links to the previous point so I think for me and I have only discovered this through my work yeah we're all I you know we just as we do our work we sort of discover more and more our own opinions or our views or we they get shaped and changed anyway so I always had this view of cave being caged and this was an image that did keep coming up in my own life and in the women that I work with they would often talk about feeling constricted feeling caged one one woman described the feeling of every day having to get up and get into a full body suit which was one size too small for her that's how she described niceness I thought it's so brilliant so it's that corseted this feeling of being restricted yeah not not fully able to be who we are yeah yeah (laughs) yeah so this and I love this sense and I think this is a really empowering lens okay so I have a bit of I have a bit of an issue with the coaching industry and the business industry because I think it does a double injustice to women or people with this conditioning which is that it without the cultural lens it can victim blame so it can sort of say you've got a faulty mindset or you need to, you know, you're lacking confidence, you need to be more confident, or it can, it can sort of really personalize an issue. And then we absorb, I don't know about you, I sort of felt like there's something wrong with me, I need to fix it. Why can't I be more confident? Why can't, why do I never feel good enough? These are some of the signs, I guess. Why do I never feel good enough? Why can't I be confident? Why is it so hard for me to speak up? Um, why do I always feel so anxious and afraid, you know? And then I would think there's something wrong with me. What if I, I need to fix something in me? And I just think that's not true at all. Um, and I think this lens of feeling caged is, is a much more empowering lens. So I just think when we come into the world, we come in, give or take, as, this, as a full expression. We have all of our full expression, our full being. So we come in as this true self. You know, you see babies, toddlers, they've got this huge range of emotions and ability to express. And then over time, we get those messages, you know, this bit's not okay, this bit is okay, don't do this if you want to have love. Uh, and we learn, oh, some parts of us aren't, aren't um, valued here or aren't safe here or I can't be this way if I want to stay safe. And so those parts get sort of pushed down and, and that's the bit that feels like caging. So it's the sort of, the cultural caging that we're not allowed these bits to be fully big and in expression that's the cage and so I just think with the work that I do with women it's more like your true self is still there this full expression is still there you don't need to cultivate something you don't need to develop it you don't need to fix it you've been encased in cultural layers and what we're doing is we're breaking free of them yeah they're not you and, and that feels much more easy to do than trying to fix something fundamental about myself. So I just really love this image of a cage and breaking free of all that is not us so that we can be who we are underneath. That makes sense. Yeah, and that's kind of how I see the coaching that I do. It's, it's, it might be about sort of healing things that have been there. And then I, I've always seen it as like, I don't know, layers of sort of like a concrete that have almost come on top of you that you have to sort of push off. Um, Because it comes up in everyone I coach. There's always 
getting back to the original version of who they were, it's the most powerful thing that any of them can ever do. That's where all the empowerment and authenticity comes from. So yeah, I totally get it. It makes absolute sense. I lo- and I just love that, that, that sort of, yeah, encased in concrete. I love that image. I just was walking down the street and I saw this tiny, um, delicate flower growing in the middle of this concrete. And I just thought, oh, that's what we're doing. We're sort of busting out of this. We were sort of encased in these layers and we can feel it like a woman I was coaching last night. She sort of described this as a sort of stiffness. Uh, and I would say that that stiffness is the sort of layers of cultural behaviors norms the way that we're told to be when actually underneath we don't want to be like that like I just we all just want to be who we are and be ourselves and and kind of um not worry what other people think or you know so some of the signs I mean there's a spectrum right I work with the women on a range of uh, stages with this work so some signs might be burnout you know they're overgiven um, they've been busy for too long, prioritizing other people for too long, disconnected from themselves for too long, and they've just crashed and burnt out. That was my journey. Like that was my first um, way into this was reflecting on burnout and thinking, why do some women burn out? And this seeing this pattern of self-negation and prioritizing others. So it might be you're burnt out, you're exhausted, you're busy all the time, but it doesn't feel satisfying you're sort of uh, going through all the motions, you've done all the right things. That's how I felt in my life. I felt like I got to my late twenties and I was like, I have done all of the things. I've got a great job. I've got two degrees. I've worked really hard. (laughs) I've got a good relationship. And yet this life does not feel (laughs) the way that I thought it would feel. Like this does not look like my life. (laughs) Or, Or I don't even know if I articulated it, but it was like, this is not what I expected it to be. It was kind of meaningless, yeah? So it might be meaninglessness, might be another sign. And then often some of the women that I do work with have done a lot of healing, yeah? So it's like, because in a way, you think, God, this is the greatest time to be a woman in history, right? We are not caged like our ancestors were caged. So a lot of the women I work with can feel like, I've done a lot of healing, And yet I can't seem to take the next step in life. I seem to be a bit stuck in this kind of healing space and I could heal forever. And I want to create something like they might want to start a business or they want to be more visible or they want to share their opinions with the world. And yet there's this sort of paralyzing stuckness, procrastination, this sense of feeling held back. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. And then they're like, and then there's a self-recrimination. Why the fuck can't I do it? Look how much freedom I have. Anything is possible. And yet, and yet. And and that's where I think we have to be really careful that we don't just blame ourselves and look for a personal reason, like a faulty mindset, and actually look at, oh, in order to do this, I need to break all of the cultural norms and social conditioning that have previously kept women safe in the world. Of course that feels scary, yeah? Of course there's resistance to stepping out of that, yeah. Yeah. So that's actually one of my questions is like, that's when you start to step out of it, that's the moment the vulnerability really does kick in. So why do you think we find it so hard to stop being nice even when it doesn't feel good to be nice? So right at the start, I think I said, niceness is a safety strategy, yeah? So it's the way that we learn to, to stay safe in the world and historically as well you know looking back over previous generations like it was not safe to be 
uh, an independent-minded, vocal, authoritative woman. Yeah, and we not so long ago that wasn't a possibility at all in uh, in women's lives. So the only option we had without access to power was this kind of keeping the peace, placating, and um, moving around the dominant uh, people in our in their lives. So then when we stop being nice, of course, that's scary. Like, so the first thing that comes up when we stop playing the role and do something differently is like an old ancient fear, I think, yeah? Old ancient kind of nervous system based fear of, is this okay? Am I gonna be safe if I really show who I am? Am I, am I gonna be rejected? Am I gonna be um, in danger? Yeah, there's a sort of very deep rooted fear that can arise. And, um, and that lives in our bodies. So I think I work with women who are super smart. Like we're all, you know, we're all really smart women. And we have this sense of the patriarchy. We have a sense of everything that I've said, really. You know, some of this probably isn't very new. We sort of know it cognitively. We see that the culture's unjust and, and all of that. And yet what we don't, what I think we often don't realize is that we've internalized that into our bodies. So this is the work that I do is really like looking like where does culture exist? We think of culture as this kind of free flowing idea, but actually culture is how am I able to inhabit my body? And how am I able to inhabit my body in relationship to other bodies? Like how, how much space do I feel entitled to take up? You know, a great example of this is man spreading versus woman minimizing, you know? So how, that is a political act. That is culture expressing itself. Women feel entitled to take up less space than men, yeah? And that will have an impact on how that woman experiences themselves in relationship to different uh, bodies, different demographics, how confident she feels showing up, how, you know, so it's like cognitive knowing is one aspect, but it's very hard to override an embodied, internalized sense of what we're allowed to do, what we're not allowed to do. Um, and that the way in which we embody those rules and roles um, is often unconscious. It's often kind of very hard to, it just feels neutral. Like I, I think, oh, I just sit neutrally until you try and do something different and you realize, my God, actually I feel really safe when I'm taking up less space. When I start to take up more space, I start to break the rules and that starts to feel uncomfortable, yeah? So I think we have to work with the body in order to um, really begin to shift uh, out of niceness and to uh, work with the vulnerability and fear that it creates to start to do something different. What would you say are the benefits of stepping away from niceness? Well, on a really big level, I think it's, you, it's the reclamation of your true self, yeah? And the deep inner peace that that brings. I think it's, the, it's always scary and, and it also is a process, you know? I, I don't feel like I walk around being my most vulnerable, authentic self all the time, you know, and I teach this stuff. And what I see in all the women that I work with is 
an ever increasing sense of deep peace, which I think is what we all want. Like we just want to be who we are mm -hmm. and, and not have to perform and not have to make you know, unnecessary effort. We want to be authentic. We want to be in alignment. We want our relationships to be based around that, you know. Um, so stepping away from niceness really into, into kindness, I would say is this returning to ourselves, learning to be at home in our experience, in who we are, learning to be a good friend. Over time of doing that and honoring that, what starts to develop is a, is a greater sense of self-trust that I am a good ally to myself. We, and with that, then we can begin to have a safe space inside of us to land. So one of the, you know, we experience vulnerability. Where do we go when we feel vulnerable? We need to have a safe space inside of us that says, oh, darling, you know, I'll talk to myself like this. Oh, darling girl, you're all right. I've got you, I'm here. That was hard. It's fine, we're, we're all right. Even if the worst happens here, I am here. Yeah, so we begin to cultivate this sort of inner sense of um, kindness, compassion towards ourselves, being a good friend. With that, then we can start to say no to the things that don't serve us. Yeah, so we can start to be more in tune with what we do want and what we don't want, and we can start to act upon that, which means we just waste less time. We really just don't have very much time. Yes. And we can start to orientate towards what really brings us alive, what we really love. We can start to shape our lives in that direction, take more risks, yeah? And I think we can reclaim this sense of innate dignity. I do a lot of work around dignity. Dignity is very important to me because niceness, when we're doing niceness, we're, we're coming out of our dignity as an equal. We're coming out of our dignity as uh, entitled to our own experience. Uh, and I think the reclamation of dignity is huge when we start to stop being nice and start being kind. And then, and dignity is hugely powerful. And then we can start to take up space in the world. We can start to voice our opinions. We can start to have an influence and an impact. That's really what is at the heart of my work. I just think the world is in a complete shit show. And one of the reasons is because women's talents not shared, women's gifts aren't shared because we're too busy stuck in niceness rather than, than bringing what we have to offer out into the world in a generative way. So I think, God, it's not an easy path and we are rewriting generations of conditioning, okay? So it's not easy and my God, like it is just so deeply satisfying. It's like you're reclaiming who you were before the world got its hands on you, you know? I just think that's the purpose of my life. I will do that forever. <laughs> Amazing purpose. <laughs> yeah. and it's so satisfying. It's so satisfying to watch women tread that path. You know? Yeah. So if someone's listening to this and thinking, you know, that little fire is sparked inside and they're thinking, God, yes, this is what I need to do. What, what's the first step that anyone can do like without having to sign up for anything or pay for anything or buy books or do anything? What can someone do today to start down this path? Yeah, gorgeous. So at the moment, my premise is that there are kind of four stages to this. And there's four stages that I kind of work through in my programme. 
it's like returning to ourselves and learning to just be in ourselves, be in our enoughness, not have to hustle, uh, work for our worthiness. From that place, learning to set boundaries and boundaries really being about what is most important in our lives. What do we want to channel our energy, time, uh, passion into? The third then from there is learning from creating that safe space which boundaries create then beginning to act on our desires and reclaiming our agency and our power and our playfulness and all this good stuff that comes up from the inside and out. And then on the basis of all of that, then learning to take up space, uh, express ourselves, uh, begin to have influence, okay? But I start all the women I work with in the same way, and it's just this. Niceness is the training to prioritize other people's desires, wants, needs, comfort over your own. What that tends to lead to is just being very sensitive to other people and orientating outwards to other people. So women that identify with this will probably be able to know the atmosphere in a room, when someone's mood changes, you go into a restaurant, you know that that kid over there is unhappy and the waiter's just done this. There's this kind of hypersensitivity to the outside world and often real you like we are invisible in that to our own experience yeah but the first thing a woman can do to begin to work with niceness is just begin to recenter herself in her own life which i would say the easiest way to do this is to set an alarm on your phone to go off at whatever interval you like half an hour an hour throughout the day and when the alarm goes off come back to yourself so you could just ask where am i in this experience how is my body yeah really simple like where is where are my feet where is my bum <laughs> how is my breathing how, what is my mood like where what do i need am i thirsty am i tired do i how what do i need to move a little bit just coming back to yourself and and you could ask the question where am i in this experience or this interaction or this work that in itself is huge. Like that is massively countercultural, and just coming back over and over again will begin to put your put you back at the center of your own life. So, what about the sort of embodied element? Um, I, we've kind of talked a little bit about that already, but you use an embodied practice to reduce the intensity of vulnerability. And the whole sort of point of my podcast is that staying with vulnerability is like a doorway and the, you know that leads you to all the good stuff on the other side so being able to stay with it is actually quite important so how does that work in your practice yeah so I'll just say I totally agree I, I just think on the other side of that moment of vulnerability is all the good stuff in life I work on this idea that these cultural norms these ideas these scripts that we've inherited aren't just kind of cognitive ideas but we've internalized them into the way we are in our body, the way we occupy our body, the way we are able to move our body in space and relate to other bodies. Which means we can work with the body to begin to uh, move out of some of these patterns. So even just taking up more space, so say coming out of minimizing, smallifying, shrinking, which women are taught to do, yeah? And just taking your legs hip width apart, rolling back your shoulders, beginning to occupy more space. At a certain point, that will start to feel really vulnerable. You'll start to feel like, oh my God, this isn't okay. Or all that vulnerability will kind of uh, begin to resonate. 
But what we can do is we can practice that. We can practice taking up more space in safe environments and we can um, do it incrementally rather than sort of jumping in off the deep end into like a big pool of vulnerability. We can reach the edge of where we feel safe and go a little bit further and then realize, oh, I'm not dead. <laughs> or this wasn't the end of the world. Actually, I can begin to breathe here. I can begin, this can begin to be the new normal. And we can practice that through the body. Yeah. Um, there are sort of, hmm, we get stuck in patterns of movement, patterns of ways of being that feel just neutral and normal until we try and do something different. Yeah. So um, another one might be, I don't know, I'm in my program at the moment, we're coming, we're contacting female fire. So we're coming up into taking action and being proactive and keeping hold of the initiative and, and bringing creativity out into the world. And we just did a whole evening on play. But that can be very, that can feel equally as unfamiliar to just sort of let go and play and, and not worry about what we look like and be creative and just say the first thing that comes into our head. But we can create safe spaces in which the body can reacquaint itself with that part of us. It's like we create a doorway to that bit of us that can do that. It's just very unfamiliar and we can practice it. So I help women, I guess, through the body learn to refine these parts of themselves, breathe into the discomfort of breaking the rules and learn, okay, it's okay, actually, I'm still safe here and we can just stay here for a while. And sometimes it's good to come back into the, into the safe space as well. And then we can go back out into the space that feels like edgy and vulnerable and learn, okay, this can become the new norm. And I just think we're in a constant process of that. So there's always, there's always a bigger, more liberated, free version of ourselves that we can ease ourselves into. I do that through the body. Uh, just teaching the nervous system, it's safe to be bigger, it's safe to be bolder, uh, it's safe to be freer in your expression. It is very easy to dismiss the impact of your nervous system. Um, I keep coming up against this, you know, that, that quote, I think, therefore I am, yeah. and how sort of... Um, well, it's huge. I would say, again, this, that whole thing is that the prioritising of the cognitive mind is patriarchal. You know, it's post-Western enlightenment. There was this separation of the body-mind and there's this prioritising of the front, you know, uh, the frontal lobe and the sort of cognitive rational mind, but we're not rational beings. We don't act rationally. We're emotional beings. We're driven by impulse. We're driven by fear. This idea that uh, the rational mind or our thinking brain is in charge is ludicrous. We all know that, yeah? So we're imaginative beings as well. So I work with the imagination. I work with the body. Um, it's all of this is genuine, legitimate ways of knowing that have been maligned by patriarchal culture, you know, instinct, trusting our guts, having, having our intuition, following um, a thread of uh, curiosity. These are all different ways of knowing. And the nervous system has a whole intelligence that we can respect, that we can uh, listen to. And we can't, you cannot override all of that with the rational mind. It, it's a ludicrous idea and yet it is totally stuck in our, culture isn't it completely I've had I've I have for many years of my life 
spent a long time trying to think my way out of my emotions instead of just feeling them or to think my way into suppressing them back into their box. And all the consequences that you would expect to happen from doing that happened. Um, but there are, these themes have come up in a number of episodes that I've recorded recently about this. And it's so interesting that it's this intelligence is now sort of coming, getting much more airtime that really you can't intellectualize your your experience. It doesn't work. It does not work. And, you know, I love I love Carl Jung's work. I love the work around psyche. I love this idea of soul and that's really my I would call my work kind of soulful work for that reason even just even nervous system work I do you know I love nervous system work I love the sort of the science of that and I think we are so much more even than just our other sort of nervous system and our embodiment mm. we're, we're these deep soulful beings we have we have we live in image we live in kind of myth we have stories to our lives. We have this whole other realm of intelligence that, that we can return to and, um, you know, cognitive, scientific. Uh, it's just such a limited, tiny aspect of our experience. And it's just so, well, masculine, patriarchal idea. Yeah. So really, my work is using the body yeah, this is good. I've never quite articulated this before, but I would say my work is, is through the medium of the body, returning to this deeper uh, aspect of our psyche. You know, it's using the body as a bridge to these parts of our being that have been squashed down by culture and kind of maligned. And the body is a bridge to let that part of us come out and feel safe enough to occupy space in the world. And the body is the key to that but you can't think your way into that you can't uh, it's not a cognitive thing it's an embodied felt thing uh, it's a whole universe we have whole universes inside of ourselves that we've not been allowed to occupy or uh, be seen here and the body can just be a really real strong resource for helping it feel safe enough we can work with the body once the body feels safe it is possible for the body to feel increasingly safe breaking the rules mm. and as it does then this whole uh, deeper part of ourselves can be known so I mean I feel it even as we're talking now but but what role does solidarity have to play in helping people step away from being nice it's just huge isn't it I mean I think it's all of my work you know revolves around community I think we need great female role models I'm very lucky I come from like a lineage of teachers um, who have to like, greater or lesser extents broken free of kind of uh, norms, societal expectations, women who are doing things differently. I think we really need that and we do have great examples of it. I think we need women at different stages of that process to be alongside us. You know, we need the women who are a bit freer that we can look to and think, my God, that's possible. We need the women who are maybe a bit less free than us that we're kind of encouraging through our examples or supporting. We need to look around us and, and well, like you say, you know, your whole podcast is around this vulnerability thing and, and there's a lot of shame that comes with vulnerability, right? And yet you get a group of women in a room and someone saying, fuck, I just said no to this thing and I feel like a terrible person. And yet this, you know, they're wrestling with it. They're wrestling with it. And all the other women in the room are like, 
breathing deeper because we've all been there. We know what that's like. Or it permissions us to think, oh, it's okay for me to do that because this other woman is doing it. Or, you know, the solidarity is 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 huge and and ever widening circles. It's like it's like how do we bring more women in? I just that's my constant question is it has this huge ripple effect. One woman getting free has a huge ripple effect in the world. So it's like, there's no such thing as individual freedom from this. We're cha- we, the idea is to change culture, which is what we're doing as we're doing this work. But that, that is a ripple effect and, and uh, we can't do it alone. There's no way, no way we could do it alone. That feels exciting. <laughs> exciting. I find it so exciting. The idea that we can change culture through the way that we occupy our bodies, like just you and I taking up more space <laughs> has an effect on cultural norms, you know, allows another woman to take up a bit more space, you know, is deeply exciting to me. Okay, so I normally finish these podcasts by just asking people to give me their one note on vulnerability. So it's the one thing you'd like someone to take away from our discussion today. So I would say that feeling of vulnerability is often that you, you've reached an edge of the cultural rules, the social norms in which you've been trained is okay for you to occupy. So vulnerability is an indicator that you're at that edge. It's not something gone wrong, yeah? And as you're doing that, as you're at that edge of vulnerability, you're, you're stepping into a more freer version of yourself. I think I wanna come back to this idea of taking minimal, minimal viable risks, which is, Actually, that edge is very powerful. You don't need to jump. We don't need to take huge risks. We don't need to jump hugely into vulnerability. We can extend our capacity to be with vulnerability gently in safe spaces, in areas of our lives where there's not huge consequences, maybe. And we can build that muscle to stay with it. Yeah, the returning to yourself as a way to cultivate a safe space inside, knowing that vulnerability is a great sign that you're changing culture well thank you so much that's been such an interesting discussion oh thank you for the invitation alex it's been wonderful i know we could have talked for hours more because yeah it's been a struggle to contain it but that's good (laughs) but thank you very much (laughs) this has been notes on vulnerability and i've been alex your host if you especially enjoyed this topic and would like to go deeper into how to take action on it Don't forget that you can hit the subscribe button to access all the additional tips, ideas and support. I'm a resilience coach and you can find me on Instagram at alexshawcoaching, S-H-O-R-E, or online at www.shaw-coaching.com. Notes on Vulnerability also has its own Instagram, at notes on vulnerability.